This essay has been something of a labor of love for me, as I sit putting the finishing touches to it on December 25th I find myself thinking that this probably won't quite reach the heights of I hate an inspector calls simply because I've learned from that experience and don't harbor as much contempt for Macbeth, I think it's a story with a strong message, it's got some compelling characters and really interesting villains. Plus it features an extended metaphor about eggs. What more could you want from a play? The title is deliberately misleading, I'm sure you're thinking, I already know Macbeth's fatal flaw, it's his hubris. And you might be correct. If it weren't for the fact that the eponymous Macbeth is not the focus of this essay. There are probably thousands of essays devoted to the characters and themes of Macbeth. This is a direct criticism of the play as a whole. Shakespeare is a writer who has been put on a plinth by English teachers everywhere, this is, in part, justified. I love some of his more original work. But Shakespeare is not perfect and I'm going to use this essay as a chance to take him down a peg. Reflecting on what I've actually written this is a more positive appraisal than I'd anticipated originally, in fact Shakespeare comes out of it looking pretty good. Let's start at the beginning, we open on a heath and we witness the appearance of three witches. Think back to a time without CGI and remember what a bold and striking choice it is to have these witches enter amidst thunder and lightning, the audience are immediately engaged and terrified, these witches were a real and tangible threat for contemporary viewers. They believed that witches could do everything they are shown to do at this point, one can liken it to the same kind of feeling we get whilst watching a more grounded action film, we fear for the protagonist because the villains are close enough to everyday life we can believe in them. These witches prophesize the entrance of Macbeth, our titular hero. We know these witches are evil because they do the things evil witches are supposed to do, no one has to explain what makes Father Christmas so amazing in the movie Elf because as an audience we already know who and what he is. Shakespeare applies the same principle here, drawing on common beliefs to speed his story along. Establishing a totally original villain requires time and in this play Shakespeare has very little to waste. In the next scene we are introduced to King Duncan. By proxy we learn about how great Macbeth is and Duncan decides to give him a new title. This is a reward for his actions in a war. We know a lot about Macbeth in this scene, he's a warrior and unafraid of bloodshed, he's popular, well known and respected by the king. We don't know much about the king but in all honesty we don't need to. Duncan is effectively just a vehicle for Shakespeare's message, by making him two-dimensional and underdeveloped Shakespeare shows that it is the death of a king that is the problem, we aren't asked to care about Duncan as a person instead we are told to be upset that he is dead because he is the monarch. King James was on the throne at the time Shakespeare wrote the play and was worried about regicide. The aim of Duncan is to be a character that can represent all monarchs and condone the crime of killing a king. We finally see Macbeth in scene 3, he's accompanied by his friend and companion Banquo. The pair meet the witches and insult them for a few lines before receiving prophecies. These prophecies are delivered cleverly, the first is not a prophecy but a fact, then a little bit of dramatic irony is used. The witches call him Thane of Cotter, a title we saw bestowed on him just a few moments ago. The final prophecy is that he will be king. Instead of giving us three pieces of information that are completely unprovable Shakespeare gives us two facts and a prediction, for both Macbeth and the audience it is clear, if the first two prophecies are true then the third must be as well. Banquo also receives a prophecy, he will not be king but his children will. This is an odd little detail, really it has no bearing on the plot, it has been placed there to appease the main donor to Shakespeare's theatre company, King James was supposedly a descendant of Banquo. This is the first instance of the plot bowing to bits folklore, it is excusable it doesn't detract from the plot negatively. Later on though, it gets much worse. It is at this point we are introduced to Lady Macbeth. Despite the fact she isn't even given her own name she is probably the most powerful character in the play, ruthless, manipulative and terrifying. 
she begins the play reading the words of another, but almost imperceptibly shifts into a vicious put-down of her husband. She immediately contrasts everything we've heard about Macbeth and we believe it, this is someone who knows Macbeth better than anyone else and why would she lie in this scene, she's alone on stage. Seconds later she has already decided to murder the king. There is almost no deliberation, she reads the letter and immediately decides the best course of action, the only possible course of action, is to kill the king. This is a really interesting character trait, it's so at odds with the expectations of the time period and makes Lady Macbeth a truly terrifying. She shares similarities with the witches and, had she been alive at a different time, would definitely be a suspected witch. Macbeth and Lady Macbeth meet, they seem to have this natural rapport. Outwardly Macbeth has all the power, but look a little closer and he is merely a puppet of Lady Macbeth. She knows just how to get him to do whatever she wants. She emasculates him, calling into question his masculinity when you durst do it, then you were a man. This shows how vain and shallow Macbeth is but also how powerful Lady Macbeth can be. Lady Macbeth is superbly layered, she has witnessed loss and heartache and yet has this sociopathic outlook. She will do anything for success, she offers to dash the brains of a newborn baby, her reasoning being that she'd sworn. She is clearly slightly unhinged and this makes her almost more dangerous than Macbeth himself. Having a character like this, with no qualms no considerations is truly horrifying, to a contemporary audience I'm not sure she outshines the witches in sheer fear factor, but personally I've found the reality that she is totally human and still capable of the same acts as the witches more scary. Macbeth murders Duncan, and feels remorse. He didn't really want to kill his king, he was forced to do it, the prophecies decreed it and he fulfilled them. It would be easy to blame all of this on Lady Macbeth, make it a play about the dangers of witchcraft. Acquit Macbeth and allow the world to continue, it would certainly be shorter but, given King James' stance on witchcraft as evidenced by his book Demonology, it would still serve its purpose and make the king happy. Lady Macbeth shows none of this remorse, once again she chastises Macbeth for his actions and decides to fix his mistakes for him. Then there is a short comedic interlude, a character we've never met before and will never meet again is introduced. The porter stumbles drunkenly around the stake for a bit and then goes away. This scene has no relevance and yet it appears to be every English teacher's favorite moment. We all know that Shakespeare struggled to write comedy and this scene isn't funny, so why is it so important to my GCSE? Biblical imagery. That's why, this scene is chock full of it, it's all about how the castle has become a portal to hell and only the porter can see that. I'll admit that the scene does reduce the tension that has been created up to this point but it is wholly unnecessary. It doesn't serve any purpose in the story, it can be cut out without any impact. Duncan has two sons, Malcolm and Donald Bain. After the death of their father they fear for their lives and run to England and Ireland respectively. This makes them look very guilty and so Macbeth uses their disappearance to take over. He is crowned king and now has everything he wanted. Then there is another scene in which Ross and Lennox, two characters who are bland forgettable exposition dumpers, discuss the fact that Macbeth is now king. This is lazy storytelling, people ban on about show don't tell constantly. It's something writers often end up resorting to when they don't have enough time to tell the story. Macbeth is pretty long and there's a lot of stuff going on at all times so I'd give this a pass if it weren't for the Porter scene. It would have been infinitely more impactful to see the reactions instead of hear them secondhand. Why not witness the coronation? See the emotions the characters are feeling instead passively observing a wholly unrealistic conversation. Macbeth, drunk on power, sees that Banquo is becoming suspicious. He also realizes that he doesn't want Banquo's kids to become kings. So he orders them to be murdered, at this point in time we've spent maybe five minutes in the company of Banquo and really don't care whether he lives or dies. But worst of all is the suggestion that Fleance, Banquo's son, could die. 
we've seen that no matter what all the prophecies come true. And also, his continued existence is tied to reality, King James is his direct descendant so he can't die. Banquo is promptly murdered and Fleance escapes, never to be seen again. Macbeth holds a banquet as the new king. But his guilt becomes so much that it begins to manifest as something real and tangible. The ghost of Banquo appears, to scare Macbeth. Despite this idea being very good on paper, when you actually look at its execution it is disappointing. Banquo's ghost has no lines, he doesn't do anything. He simply appears and disappears. Yes, he looks disgusting. But why is he there? Think back to other memorable ghosts, like the ones in A Christmas Carol, each one has a message. The ghost of Christmas past shows Scrooge what he could have had and instigates change. Banquo's ghost shows Macbeth how brutal the murder was but he doesn't change anything. Seeing the ghost Macbeth goes a little mad and everyone becomes worried. Lady Macbeth manages to calm him down and everything returns to normal. Although Banquo's ghost isn't utilized perfectly the fact that he appears and makes Macbeth go slightly crazy is the catalyst for everything that comes next, it instills fear and doubt in the other members of the cast. Then we move, rather abruptly to a scene with the witches, at this late stage Shakespeare introduces a new witch, Hecate. She is angry with the original trio for messing with Macbeth and tells them off. Then she leaves, the play doesn't need this scene. It doesn't do anything and includes a superfluous song as well. I don't understand why there needs to be a fourth witch. Hecate undermines the power that the original trio have and makes them seem weak. In another scene of exposition dumping we learn that Macduff has gone to England. We also learn about Macduff, he's almost exactly the same as Macbeth. This is because he wants the Malcolm and the English king to bring an army to Scotland and take Macbeth down. Macbeth and Macduff have very similar names. No one else in the play has a name even remotely similar and these characters are not minuscule roles with no interaction on relevance. It just makes things confusing. For years I believed Sauron and Saruman, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, to be the same person. They are totally different character but often do the same sorts of actions and hardly ever interact directly. The characters of Macbeth and Macduff suffer from a similar fate. In the next scene Macbeth returns to the witches to ask for more prophecies, they oblige. He learns that no one born of woman can kill him, that he won't die until Great Burnham Wood shall come against him and that he should fear Macduff. Spoiler alert, all of these prophecies will come true in the most convoluted manner possible. In the next scene Lady Macduff and her children are murdered. This is supposed to be a brutal scene. But Shakespeare ruins it with an extended egg metaphor. The sun is described as you egg and there is reference to fry. This is more comedic than scary and significantly reduces the tension that has been created up to this point. The scene is unnecessary, we've already seen that Macbeth is capable of ordering the death of innocents, Fleance, so the scene is unnecessary, especially as Macduff doesn't even find out about their death during the play so it doesn't inform his motivations. Lady Macbeth re-enters the play after a long absence, she is no longer the strong and powerful character she was before, she's become consumed by guilt and changed. We find her sleepwalking around the castle, trying to wash blood off her hands. Just as it did for Macbeth her guilt has manifested itself as something she can see. She helped Macbeth to get through his own guilt but was unable to save herself. However it seems jarring, this is a woman who hasn't actually committed any crime, she has manipulated Macbeth into doing her bidding. She has already shown that she is remorseless in the quote regarding her child. Why is she suddenly throwing all her character traits out of the window and reverting to this stereotype of women at the time? She becomes this weak shell of who she was for no reason. We don't get to see the transition and so it comes out of nowhere. Macbeth comforts himself with the misguided opinion that the witch's prophecies are impossible and can never come true, despite the evidence he already has that all their prophecies are fact. 
It is here that Shakespeare remembers that he has made some promises he needs to live up to. His way of proving that the wood can move is that the English army cut down the trees and carry them as camouflage. I'll admit that this isn't too bad, it's a little far-fetched, especially on stage but it's a pretty good way of solving the problem. Things are really hotting up when Satan, yes Shakespeare really went there, Satan appears to tell him that Lady Macbeth has died. This character who has had so much power, so much influence over the play isn't even allowed to die on stage. Instead she is relegated to the queen is dead it's delivered so bluntly as if it's just another plot point that needs to be ticked off. Lady Macbeth deserves so much more than a reported offstage death. We don't even know how she died, this is the woman who has pretty much orchestrated the whole play, it was her interpretation or the prophecies that lead to Duncan's death. She who cajoled Macbeth into this position of power, it's an excellent idea to deny her the ability to rule by Macbeth's side but such a shame that the death is presented as so unimportant especially as Macbeth then delivers a beautiful monologue about her, proving the importance of her death. Macbeth and Macduff's final confrontation is one which lacks tension, we already know the outcome because of the prophecies, we don't fear for Macduff and so the conversation is uneventful. When Macduff drops the bombshell about being a caesarean birth it's not a shock. And also, just because he was removed from his mother more forcefully doesn't mean he wasn't born of woman. Macduff kills Macbeth and Malcolm becomes king. This is my biggest problem with the play, the fact that story is sacrificed for historical accuracy. Macduff has killed the king therefore he should be rewarded in some way. Instead he is pushed aside so that Malcolm can rule instead. Macduff has no reason to be in the story other than loose historical accuracy. Malcolm could easily have filled the role of Macduff, he has an actual reason to kill him, his father was murdered, he's the rightful king. Macduff is superfluous and only there because historically he existed at around the same time. The same can be said for Donald Bain, I bet you'd forgotten about him. He went to Ireland really early on and never came back. He had one line and was unnecessary once again Shakespeare is pandering to history and sacrificing a good story. Shakespeare wrote a few types of plays, there were the histories, comedies and tragedies. The comedies and tragedies were generally original stories. The histories were dramatizations of real events which worked fine because the events were indisputable fact and he couldn't change things to appease people. Macbeth definitely isn't a comedy but it's not a history either, it is based in fact and then other elements are totally made up. That's why it doesn't work, Shakespeare is trying too hard to appease King James by representing folklore as truth and so the story suffers. Macduff is pointless and unnecessary, Donald Bain as well. The play has a very clear message about regicide, anyone who does it is punished. Even those who suggest it get their comeuppance. Macbeth is murdered, Lady Macbeth driven to suicide and Macduff who kills an illegitimate king loses his family.